if you or a loved one gets hurt, you'll want a faster road to recovery. At Leia Healthcare's Urgent Care Clinics, you'll be seen by a consultant-led team in 60 minutes or less for injuries including breaks, burns and bubumps. Switch now at leiahealthcare.ie. Always a beat ahead for you and your family with urgent care in 60 minutes or less. Insurance provided by Ellipse Insurance Limited trading as Leia Healthcare. Leia Healthcare Limited trading as Leia Healthcare and Leia Life is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Urgent care clinics available to all aged 12 months and over. Wellbeing benefits available to Leia Healthcare members. Yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranelagh, called butt of a gun and put into the back of your skull, that's a moment where you go, OK, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm not here to hurt you. A brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and you're welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Wecker, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent. This week we're talking about Ireland's cyber security, where it's failing and what needs to be done to strengthen it. Obviously, this is one of the big issues this year after the devastating cyber attack on the HSE. The HSE says it's working to contain a very sophisticated human-operated ransomware attack on its IT systems. However, no ransom demand has yet been made. The attack is affecting both national and local health systems. We did become aware of it during the night and we've been obviously acting on it straight away. The major priority is obviously to contain this, uh, but it is what we call a kind of human-operated ransomware attack. We've also had revelations from Minister uh, Simon Coveney about his phone being hacked as part of a potentially embarrassing uh, political issue over Catherine Zappone. I clear my phone on, on quite a regular um, uh, basis. I, I did change my phone actually every year. I've been hacked I'm a, uh, and I'm the Minister for, uh, for Foreign Affairs and Defence. So uh, I think it's prudent that I, that I clear my phone fairly regularly and that's, that's what I do. And despite all of these security concerns that we've had in recent months, Last week, the Irish Independent revealed that almost six months on from the same cyber attack, the health service, the HSE, is still using almost 30,000 computers with the obsolete uh, operating system, Windows 7. So now the question is, is Ireland's cybersecurity actually a joke? Well, to discuss this, I'm joined by Independent Senator Jared Crockwell and Paul C. Dwyer, President of the International Threat Task Force. Senator Jared Crockwell, I want to begin with you. Now, last week, you were part of an Oireachtas Committee on Transport and Communications that got an update on the review of the National Cyber Security Centre, and many other things came up as well. You were quite critical in parts of that hearing. In general, what did you make of what you heard in that meeting? Um, thank you, Adrian. Um, I was quite disappointed by what I heard. Um, I don't believe that we have taken cybersecurity seriously in this country. Um, we are the hub for a number of multinationals in the country, but for the fact that they are strong enough and technically aware enough uh, to manage their own cybersecurity, I believe we would be in serious trouble. 
Um, if, if you think back not so terribly long ago, we were looking for a director of cybersecurity for Ireland, and we were offering something like €79,000 a year. Uh, what disappointed me when we spoke about salary was the minister compared the salary for the national director of cybersecurity as being something that should be of less value than the director of cybersecurity in a major multinational. To my mind, running cybersecurity in this country should be on par with the best paid banker in the country. And the mm. staff, we're talking about, I think, 30 staff at the moment. I would be happy to see something close to 200 staff in cybersecurity. I am deeply concerned that we have a very lax approach to security in general and in particular. Yeah. Paul Dwyer, president of the International Threat Task Force. What's the problem here with recruiting permanently a boss for the National Cybersecurity Centre? I mean, they've raised the salary. I think it has a maximum of around €180,000 now. So what's the problem? I think the problem is, one, is the salary. You, I know 180 may sound like a, a huge and significant salary, but in a, a climate where you know we're dealing with over 4 million, nearly 5 million open cybersecurity jobs, salaries for a chief information security officer are in excess of a million a year for a bank. I think Senator Crockwell has put it really well. I mean, the situation is, you know, if, if you pay peanuts, you're going to get monkeys. I mean, you know, th this is the reality. Mm. We need uh, a significant uh, leadership in that area. This is a hub for Europe and the world uh, and the information economy and the digital economy. Uh, we have an opportunity with the NAS directive, which we're seeing that would add on 500 billion to the GDP of Europe. And yet we just see this as like a, an arduous cost. It's not a cost, it's an investment. We need to put an investment I, in. How much, how much would you do it for? How much would I do the role for? Yeah. If the role was right and put in front of me, uh, I would do the role. And, and money, for personally, from my side, wouldn't be the uh, determining factor of it. It would be, is it going to be done ah, properly? But then if if money isn't a determining factor then, so that gets into the heart of maybe what both of you are getting to here. So why aren't people going for this job? Well, I love this country and I'm in a position where it wouldn't have to be the only factor for me. So that's what would put me in that light. But not everybody is fortunate enough to be in the same position that might be able to compromise on their salary because they want to uh, achieve greater things for the country. Oh, so you're making a lot more than that then, are you? Absolutely. Aren't you? <laughs> okay. Well, listen, you're fantastic. I love the transparency. Um, Senator Kirkle, just to come back to you for a moment, one of the things that um, Minister of State Ushin Smith addressed was the continued use of Windows 7 on many computers in the HSC. It was a story the Irish Independent actually broke last week that up to 30,000 computers are still using Windows 7, which, as you know, is an obsolete it can't, the operating system. It can be protected, but generally speaking, um, it's obsolete. Now, Minister Smith sought to contextualize that and say, look, it, it does have some protection um, from Microsoft uh, and you can't just overnight swap out machines that are hooked up to X-ray machines, um, etc. But there still was a sense to me that it's just a kind of a symbol of us being generally behind, right? Yeah, look, I mean, if, if, if we're going to stick with proprietary operating systems, um, back in uh, 1995, I think it was, where I ran uh, 300, 350 odd computers in a further education college, we had an agreement with Microsoft uh, called the Select Agreement at that time, which meant every time a new operating system came out, we could upgrade the entire suite. And it can all be done, as you know, remotely today. I, I, I accept 
accept the fact. And I recalled some years ago dealing with the National Gallery next door here. Uh, we, we were delivering a course to staff there and they had one computer there that was still operating on DOS and it was operating on DOS because it uh, managed the um, uh, humidity in the gallery. So fine. What you do is you take it off the network totally and you allow it to do its job. Um, I don't accept for one moment that we should still be finding ourselves in any state or semi-state department running anything less than Windows 10. I don't accept it. It, it. To my mind, it's a shoddy approach to security, a shoddy approach to IT. And I would ask the question, and maybe this won't go down well with some of the proprietary developers, but why haven't we done like some countries in the Northern Hemisphere and moved to open source? Um, you have far more control over an open source system, which you can, if you want, uh, make a, be both a bespoke system for yourself. And I, I, I'm not too sure, but I think we would have greater control and probably greater security if we went in that direction. The truth is we don't honestly take security seriously. Okay, I'm going to come back to you in one second on that, because that is an interesting point, and I think it does bear further interrogation. But Paul, just on the Windows 7 issue, does it matter that thousands of PCs in the HSE are still using Windows 7? Is that an overblown point? Minister of State Ushin Smith was kind of trying to say that that's an overblown point. Is he right? I think it's iconic of the fact that we're so far behind in our cybersecurity strategy. If the country was a business and it had a strategy for what it was trying to do in the world, what it was trying to achieve, it would have a cyber strategy aligned with that. What we seem to be doing is getting away with as little as we can. So the real fact here is, are we saying that we're using X-ray machines that are so old that the tail is wagging the dog and we have to use old operating systems and old equipment? Why are we of a third world infrastructure? Well, I, I think the point there, and not 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 for me to defend the HSE or the government, but I think the point they're making there is that some of that uh, machinery is made by manufacturers who don't update their own firmware or their own systems very often, and therefore you kind of are trapped to, to use that term for ten or twenty years on the operating system that it comes with. But, but to central Crogwell point, I mean, why are we getting equipment that is trapped into a life cycle like that? Yeah, no, I, and I, I, sh I need to I need to point out as also that the government and HSE uh, executives I've spoken to do say that those machines do have extended warranties from Microsoft, and to some degree, anyway, they are protected. It's an expert like yourself might uh, be better placed to say where the vulnerability still Absolutely, might be. Adrian. But... And, and there would be a position there where if it's being managed from a cyber's perspective correctly, there'll be compensating controls. What are compensating controls cost? Time, resource, money. So all of these things have a knock-on effect. Um, so yes, we, we may be able to manage the, the, the security risk around those particular situations. But do we have 30,000 X-ray machines in Ireland? No, no, no. I so, mean, absolutely not. No. <laughs> uh, Senator, could, if I could come back to you for uh, a second, you said two minutes ago that just as a general point, we don't take cybersecurity seriously in Ireland. I was kind of surprised that the Minister for Foreign Affairs and the current Minister for Defence, Simon Coveney, that his admission that his phone had been hacked as Minister for Defence and Minister for Foreign Affairs wasn't interrogated more robustly really in any part of our democratic system. Obviously, you know, 
a few of us wrote about it. A few of us have been talking about it. It did receive one or two questions. I think it did come up in the uh, uh, committee hearing last week. But in general, had a cabinet minister in the UK, in France, even in smaller EU countries, said the same thing, I kind of feel it might have been interrogated more robustly. I'm, I'm actually happy that you brought this up because uh, at the committee, I asked Oisin Smith, uh, Minister Oisin Smith, if ministerial phones were encrypted. Now, my view on the Minister for Foreign Affairs and Defence is he, he has said his phone was hacked and I accept his word for that. Question is, if his phone was not encrypted, that's a serious security breach on behalf of the department issuing the phone. If the phone was encrypted and was hacked, that is a national security issue. That goes way, way, way beyond a ministerial or a, a departmental issue. Because if you can hack a ministerial phone that is encrypted, then you can hack the entire cabinet. And I made the point at the city, just for a moment, think about the numbers, the telephone numbers that would be on any minister's telephone, particularly a minister for foreign affairs. Think of the text messages that would be exchanged with other ministers for foreign affairs all over the world. And I have to say, and this afternoon we'll be meeting Martin Fraser, the uh, most senior uh, civil servant in the country, and I will be asking him to explain to me why it is nobody seems to be perturbed or disappointed or concerned that a ministerial phone that allegedly was uh, encrypted was hacked. Have we not recalled every minister's phone? Have we not brought in experts to look at the encryption system that's used? Um, you know, it, it just beggars belief. And this is the sort of lax attitude I'm talking about. It. They sort of, it'll be all right on the night. And sure, it was only Minister Coveney's phone. We don't have to worry. If you can get Minister Coveney's phone, you can get the Guard the Commissioner's phone, you can get anybody's phone you want. And just think of the danger to our national uh, infrastructure, our national intelligence system. But can I just go a little bit further in? It, it's, I, I made this point at the committee. We put in a head of cybersecurity and we say, you're in charge of cybersecurity, but you don't have any control over the cybersecurity people in each government department in each state and semi-state body. It's my view that the cybersecurity network should be independent of every department and yet a part of every department where they report directly to the head of cybersecurity who in turn reports to the Secretary General of the department. Uh, if you go the other way around, then my natural way of thinking is if there's a cyber problem in a department, some secretary generals, not all, but some secretary generals will try and bury the problem rather than deal with it. So I think we've got, this is the type of lax approach I'm talking about. Okay, so the picture you're painting there is really of a system that is not really programmed to taking things like phones uh, being hacked or cybersecurity um, seriously. Paul, does Senator Crockwell have a point around this issue of a cabinet minister's phone being hacked? I mean, I, I personally, I don't mind telling you, got a little bit exercised over it in the way that it was casually dismissed by, by all of us now. I'm not pointing fingers at any one constituency in particular. I think as, as a society, as a country, we didn't seem to get that annoyed or, or disturbed um, by a cabinet minister's phone being hacked. It was almost as if 
we haven't had the most devastating cyber attack in Europe this year, five, six months ago. Yeah. Um, I, am I over the top here? No, you're not. And, and I'd say, Adrian, fair play to you for bringing these things to the attention because very few other journalists are bringing attention to these subjects. And these are really, really important subjects that are just being glossed over all of the time. Uh, what Minister Crockwell is talking about there as well is about oversight and governance around cybersecurity. We live in an information economy. We need to have transparency. We need to have accountability. And we need to know things are being done properly. And we can't have it being done to one level over here in one department and another level over there. And this is what we need. We, we we need somebody that's going to have the authority uh, uh, to be able to carry out a role like this and be able to carry it out. If we're going to fix it, let's fix it. This it'll be grand attitude has to die. It won't be grand. The whole health service went. You know, mm. it's going to cost well, a billion quid to fix that. Like, you know, I mean, well, and, fo following following on that point, then, and would you and following on from the points that Senator Crockwell has been making there, do you think that hackers would regard Ireland now as a soft target? In a way, yes. And I'll tell you another scary thing as well. Uh, from another point of view, they may see it as a soft underbelly of the United States as well, because a lot of the United States tech firms are obviously here as well. And that's something we have to be cognizant of, because we can turn cybersecurity into a positive for Ireland. It could be something in the IDA sheet when they're going abroad and bringing in foreign direct investment, say, we have a really secure country here. Now, for the big top tech firms here, of course, they have the backup of the NSA in the United States and so on like that. So maybe they're not as concerned as somebody maybe like an indigenous Irish business doing really well here, which is an absolute target for all of these organized crime groups and state-sponsored crime groups who are attacking Irish businesses as we're on this podcast. So, I mean, we have to take it seriously. And if there is a catalyst, if there is a moment, is it that, you know, a minister's phone has been hacked? Is it that our whole health service uh, was brought to its knees during the pandemic? What do we need to wake up? Mm. Yeah, we had a story uh, this week that uh, nine out of 10 senior tech bosses in Ireland now think that Ireland's overall cybersecurity strategy may not uh, be up to par. Senator, I think in the meeting last week, it may have been yourself, it may have been somebody else, uh, one of the contributors um, brought up the point about meeting some of the big tech companies and the FDI companies, and some of them uh, are starting to raise this issue. Yeah, the minister was asked that question. Uh, I think it was my colleague, Gary Horkin, uh, asked mm. him. Uh, the minister was asked a question. He said, oh, we meet the big tech companies all the time. Uh, and it's true, they do, uh, for coffee and biscuits. Uh, when was the last time they sat down and had a serious conversation? I, I've, I've met executives from the big tech firms, and they have been screaming that cybersecurity in this country needs to be taken seriously. Meeting them for coffee and biscuits is not going to solve the problem. What we need to do is to bring in the cybersecurity experts from these companies because the only reason they have been subjected to a cyber attack is they have the systems in place already themselves. Well, to play devil's advocate, why would they do that for us? Yes, they have bases here, and yes, it's in their own interest that Ireland is a secure place. But if they are meeting a member of the government or a deputised agent of the government here, aren't they? entitled to expect that they're in a serious country that takes cybersecurity seriously and isn't it not a little embarrassing to be asking them to come in and do this for us i would much rather suffer the embarrassment of asking the international companies that are here the indigenous companies are at risk i have no doubt at all about that uh, mm. I, look, I mean, cybersecurity is about all of us. This week, we had pre-legislation into the committee uh, on the new digital wallet that's been proposed in Europe. 
Can you imagine the amount of data that will be stored on servers? Uh, I mean, I was asking, are we going to have a central server or distributed system? Nobody seems to know what way we're going. But sure, it'll be all fine on the days. What are you worried about? Don't people, the Europeans want it, so we should do it. But I asked straight out, are we putting the cart before the horse? And the answer I got was, well, yes, we are. But sure, we'll catch up somewhere along the line. Not good enough. Simply not good enough. And while I might be embarrassed bringing in the uh, Twitters, the Facebooks, and the various other companies to ask their advice, I'm asking people who are working at this a long time, who understand all of the issues surrounding uh, cyber attacks. Question I asked at the committee last week was the NHS was hacked um, over a year ago, I think it was. The minister wasn't was able to... Three, three years ago. Three years yeah. ago. The minister didn't understand that that was a ransom attack. He saw it as... Do you know what? I'm glad you mentioned that. I thought I had misheard that because I was watching that exchange and I think Minister Oshin Smith, if I'm correct, and I'm glad that you've, you've, you've confirmed this, he said that it wasn't a ransomware attack. The WannaCry uh, attack wasn't a ransomware attack. It was a virus. Uh, let, yeah, let's, let's, let's charitably say that he misspoke, okay? Because he, he's a fairly knowledgeable guy. Yep. But you're right. If you're going to seize on, on a symbolic moment, that might have been it. Now, three years ago, that happened. Why at that stage... We were very, very close that weekend. I can tell you that there were no senior people on duty in cybersecurity that weekend. None of them. The military people, there were three people uh, working in cybersecurity from the military. One of them was on duty in a barracks somewhere, and the other two were on leave. So we have, we have the NHS attack. We realize how close it came to our borders. Why then was there not an alarm sounded and where government ordered an immediate audit of our cybersecurity readiness. What did we do? We sort of rolled along. Should we be all right on the night? Everybody loves Ireland. We're peacekeepers. People love us everywhere we go. We've okay, paid before I, a massive price for this negligence. Be, before I come back to you, Paul, I want to ask something specific. But Senator, just before I go on to that, you raised the issue last week, and you've kind of hinting at it there as well, about more involvement for uh, defence, for military. Why do you think that's necessary? I think it's necessary because the military are a guaranteed force 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 a year. The military will always be there in every crisis. We've seen it in COVID-19, we've seen it in national floods, snowstorms, fires, you, you name it. What we need is we need to take an approach similar to Estonia, where we uh, have the best trained, most qualified people working in cyber all of the time. But we need our military there because... I guess there's a discipline associated with the military that would bring an additional um, expertise or an additional uh, commitment to the notion of cybersecurity. Forgive me for forgive me for saying this, and and don't take this the wrong way. But I think a lot of people listening to this will think the Irish army, the Irish military, is much smaller, and it's 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 given a much lower and smaller profile than the military in other countries, would it really be up to that task? I, I, I totally agree with you. Right now, it would not, although we have some experts in cybersecurity in the military. But I mean, it's, it's another argument for another day, Adrian. What we need to do is we need to beef up the military in specialisms that are important to the economy and to 
pay them accordingly. Uh, they, the old standard uh, pay scale that's applied to commissioned officers simply doesn't work anymore. Uh, and what we've got to do is we've got to step back and look and see how we can do it. We need to do all of this under a director of intelligence. We need a director of intelligence who has an umbrella role over the Gardaí, the armed forces, the Department of Social Protection, the Department of Communications, all of the information gathering or data gathering organizations. We then need a, a, that data converted to information, which is something I was surprised to learn the other day, that people don't know how intelligence is gathered. So data becomes information, uh, processed information becomes intelligence. And we simply I, 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 aren't talking like that. At yeah, I, again, not to be funny, but could you imagine the fights uh, uh, about uh, appointing that role and how that role would operate um, between departments, between agencies, in terms of the appointment process, in terms of who would go forward? I mean, that is a very tall ask. From the we we did it with deeper. We brought in Robert Watt, and he oversaw every department in the state. And by God, they were petrified. Yeah, well, that's another podcast. But anyway, um, <laughs> Paul, just coming back to you, um, I've posited before, and I'm not sure whether you would agree with this, that one of the issues that we face in this country in dealing with this cybersecurity topic overall is that we don't see ourselves in a a militaristic or an intelligence gathering or a, a defense role as such. And we sort of think that other countries have more expertise and they'll come in and sweep uh, up for us and that we just don't see ourselves in that light. Which, is there anything to that? Um, I, I think there is. I know where you're coming from, Adrian. I, I mean, and the thing is that to put this under an umbrella of defense is a hard sell. It's optics to a certain degree. And people think, oh, we don't have a big military background and all that kind of stuff. Um, but we do have some of the world's top experts in Angarda Shikana in the defense forces of, in Ireland. We have a lot of skills here within this country. What we need is an attitude adjustment to cybersecurity in this country. And the funding needs to take place. And we need to nurture, put all of that together into an ecosystem that will not just protect the country, but protect all the businesses that operate here and the citizens that live here and depend on that digital society that we have. That's what we need. It is as simple as that. It's an attitude adjustment. The money's there. It, it, this becomes a positive for Ireland, a positive for the country if we do this properly. And it's not about, well, what can we get away with over on defence? What can we get away with over on the infrastructure of, you know, the, the healthcare system and so on? There's a responsibility to be in charge of a piece of critical infrastructure like a health service for a country and response for how that information flows, what systems can be turned on. And their answer on that day was, we switched everything off, we switched the internet off, and that's a cyber resilience program? Give me a break. I mean, it's unbelievable. Can I ask, as you have brought that topic up, can I ask what you would have done differently? Well, the thing, it's about leadership, isn't it? I mean, leaders have to be there and in place has to be strategic plan. The fact that, you know, uh, uh, that it was a known vulnerability when it came to WannaCry, systems should have been patched. There should have been mitigations in place. As there were, all the banks worked late on a Thursday, worked all through the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, everything. They didn't come up with a game plan which said, what we'll do is we'll switch everything off. Okay, well, I'm going to ask you both in 15 seconds each, what do you think, what is one positive or productive step that we could take at this point to improve things. You go first, Paul. I think we should appoint a cybersecurity czar. Uh, I, I, I think that, that that may morph into director of intelligence, whatever it happens to be, because that might be a politically sensitive term to use, but they should have the authority to kick ass. 
and they should have the money and the wherewithal to galvanize and bring everything together and focus on the strengths this country has to bring it forward in this area and not focusing on all what has happened in the past. But just let's go forward with this. Let's make Ireland the most secure digital state there is in Europe and if not the world. Okay, Senator Crockwell. Adrian, the one positive that we can take out of the HSE uh, attack and cybersecurity in general is you're talking about today. And I would like to see all of your colleagues involved in the tech uh, journalism talking about it. I would like to see pressure coming on uh, us here in Leinster House to wake up to what is real cybersecurity and see people like Paul come in and brief us. Uh, and finally, yeah, I know it's more than 15 seconds. Finally, I want whoever is in charge as head of cybersecurity to report to only one person, the Taoiseach of the day. Well said. Okay, well, thank, thank you both uh, very much for being on the podcast this week. And of course, the good news is that Paul C. Dwyer has said that he's available at a very reasonable price um, for this role. But my thanks to Senator Jared Crockwell and to Paul C. Dwyer, President of the International Threat Task Force, for joining me today. And also thanks to Independent.ie and RTE for our archive clips. We'll be here the same time next week. For me, Adrian Michael, bye-bye.